Let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And we thank you for just the exhortation we see in tonight's text, how to respond to godly rebuke. And we look at a man who faithfully served you, but like so many of us, well, truly all of us, at a moment where he wavered, a moment where he listened to what men said instead of what you said. But we're thankful to see that, Lord, you're a forgiving God, a gracious God, and a merciful God, and you're a God of second, 500th, and one millionth chances, Lord. You draw us back into yourself. So, Lord, be our teacher tonight. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said. So, we haven't been in Second Chronicles for a little while. So, quickly, as we know, Chronicles were written to the children of Israel who are in captivity and had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years because of their ungodliness. Now they're being brought back into Israel, specifically into Jerusalem. And as they're coming back, this is a history lesson, most believe written by, largely by Ezra. And so this is a history lesson for the children of Israel, many of which had never been in Jerusalem to what it was like. We know that First Chronicles was focused on King David. Second Chronicles began with King Solomon. The other thing that we know is we see that the kingdom has been split into two pieces. Uh, in the history lesson that's being taught, the 10 northern nations, Israel, the two southern nations were Judah, that's Judah and Benjamin. We know from reading through uh, Chronicles that every single one of the kings from Israel was evil, all of them. And some of the kings in Judah were good and some were not. Now, the one that we looked at last time in chapter 18 was a man by the name of Jehoshaphat. And whenever you think of Jehoshaphat, don't you think of jumping Jehoshaphat? Am I the only one that's ever heard that term before? I keep looking for the chapter where he's jumping. I haven't seen it yet, okay? But we know that he was a really godly man and a faithful king who kicked down and got rid of all the idols, was honoring the Lord. But one thing that he made, we saw his great compromise in chapter 18, and his great compromise was that he allowed his daughter or his son to be married to one of King Ahab's daughters. So Ahab was the most evil of all the kings in Israel. They were all evil. He was the worst. His wife is so bad. We've talked about her. She broke her name. Jezebel. Nobody calls in their names or kids any ever. She was so horrible that that name was broken forever and no one ever uses it except in a horrible term. And so here's this godly man and because it was what kings did to bring uh, nations together, he compromised and allowed his son to marry the daughter of King Ahab. So then what happened last week, if you were, or a couple weeks ago, if you were here, Ahab comes to him and says, I want you to go fight in this battle with us against Ramath Gilead, reclaim from fight with Syria to get Ramath Gilead back. We got to steal them back. They were told when we, when we defeated them, they would give us that part of the nation back and they never did. And Micaiah comes and says to him, he's a prophet of God and tells him, don't do it. Don't listen to them. God doesn't want you to enter this battle. Don't do it. And he does it anyway. And none of us have ever done that where God tells us not to do it and we just do it anyway, right? Well, that's exactly what took place here. And in his disobedience, if you'll remember the story, they went out into battle. And if you'll remember, God allowed them to, uh, had a prophet come and tell Ahab to go ahead and go, knowing that he was going to die. And so Micaiah warns 
Uh, he warns Jehoshaphat. He goes anyway. And then Ahab doesn't even hide the fact that he doesn't want to die. That He tells Jehoshaphat, you dress up like you're the king, and I'm going to dress up like I'm not a king. Because he knew that the king had a big target on his back. And so they surround Jehoshaphat. And what does he do? He cries out to God. That's a good plan. That's the first good thing you've done, bro. Good idea. And he cries out to God and God delivers him. And then a guy shoots a random arrow. And we know they're never random. Arrow in the sky and it catches Ahab in his armor. And the chapter ends with Ahab propped up watching as his army's being overrun. So that's what happened in chapter 18. So as we ended the chapter, Jehoshaphat had cried out to God in a time of desperation, which is when often when a lot of us, for some people, that's the only time they cry out. They get themselves in a mess, often with their own choosing. Jehoshaphat is not in a mess because he's honoring God. He's in a mess because he didn't listen to God. And then when he didn't listen to God, he cried out to God and God in his mercy rescued him. And that's where we're going to pick up in chapter uh, 19. Now, if you have the outline for chapter 19, grab it. And we'll go through that and then we'll dig into the text. So I titled the message, Turning from Rebellion to Repentance. So as the cha- last chapter ended, he had been in rebellion. He had disobeyed the Lord. But we know that he was a godly man up until that point. So it's a picture of all of us where we're walking with the Lord and we can have moments and times where we give into the flesh or we succumb to what the world is drawing us into. And that's what happened with Jehoshaphat. And so tonight we're going to see how do we go from a place, if you're in rebellion or you're in a place where you're not where you used to be with the Lord, how do you get back in a right relationship with God? And you've heard me say it before, you can take a million steps away from God, it's only one step back. But I'm thankful that in the midst of our rebellion, he is a righteous and a faithful God, and he is a merciful God. And so, how the message turning from rebellion to repentance, number one, never confuse God's grace for God's permission to continue to sin. Here's one of the things that happens often, and it's happened in my life, and maybe it's happened in yours. Let's just stop. It's happened in all of ours. Amen. And what I mean by that is where we cry out to God because we've got ourselves into a mess because of a bad choice that we've made. And then God, by his grace, delivers us. And then once he delivers us, we go do it again. Anybody say amen to that? So you, you, you're like, Lord, please, I promise you, you'll deliver me from it this time. I will never do this again. I promise you, Lord, it will never happen again. He delivers you. And then you think, wow, got out of that. And then you do it again. And that's exactly what can happen if we lose sight of, if we think that God's grace is God's permission. If we think that, well, God got me out of it last time, he'll get me out of it again. I remember counseling with this one young couple 20 years ago. Nobody, anybody here would know. But I counseled with them repeatedly, and they would come into my office concerned that, they, well, they had slept together and that she was pregnant and that they didn't know what to do and they weren't married and they were young. And we would go to their parent and, it, and the whole thing would happen and then they would find out, well, she's not. And they'd go, oh, we're never going to be alone again. We'll never make the mistake again. It's never going to happen again. Thank you, Lord. God showed us grace. The next month they're back in my office. Oh, no, guess what? And this kept happening until finally one time she got pregnant. And again, it's not the baby's fault. But the point I'm making is that they continued every time to think, oh, well, look, God delivered us so we can keep. And then they were surprised after five or six times that it actually happened. And then we can all do that with our own sin. And we're going to see that in tonight's text that there's a warning here that just because God delivered us does not mean that we can continue in that sin again and the consequences won't be greater the next time. Or we may not be delivered at all. 
may cost us our lives even, depending on what that struggle is. So never confuse God's grace for God's permission. Crying out to God from a place of desperation, brought on by their own sinful desires, and God is in his grace delivers you, you breathe with a sigh of relief, and then you choose to repent or go right back into the same sin. When God delivers us, may we repent, not run back to it. Amen? Number two, love God and hate sin. We are living in a time right now that even I will see even pastors do this, people will do this, and they know that something is, sim- is sinful and wicked, but when they go to talk about it, they'll, they'll, make, they'll try to soften the blow. Uh, Let's just talk, you know, whatever you want to talk about. The whole, look, the whole transgender thing. There's no such thing as transgender. It doesn't exist, okay? God made them male and female. That's what the Word of God says. You know, everybody's afraid to say that because then they'll get labeled a trans, you know, transphobic. I'm not afraid of trans. Trans doesn't exist. It's rebellion against God. It is perversion of what God created. God created a male and female, and everybody's afraid to say it. Why are they afraid to say it? Because they're more worried about what men think than what the Word of God says. Amen? And so we need to come to a place where, and what will happen is people will talk about it, and they'll be all apologetic. And again, we love everyone, but that doesn't mean that because I love you, I have to agree with you. Amen? And we need to come to a place where we as believers love God and hate sin, and the sin that we should hate the most is the sin in our own lives. Amen? That begins with my life. Holiness for me, grace for everyone else. How do you turn rebellion into repentance? You come to a place where you love God and you hate sin. You minister to people to bring them closer to the Lord, but you never help them continue to continue in their rebellion against God. I get these calls three or four times a week. Got one yesterday. Get a call on the phone, somebody I've never met. They call every church in town and they want money. And it happens all the time. And they call up, and they've always got it. You can tell it's a rehearsed story. You can tell they've told it a hundred times before. Well, you're, you guys are at church, so you guys are gracious. You have to help us out. You know, you got to help us out. You know, we need your help. And my response is always the same thing. We got church tomorrow night. Why don't you come to church? After church is over, I'll be happy to sit down and talk to you about your situation. You know what? They never want to come to church. They actually want me to deliver the money to their house so they don't have to leave, right? In this mentality. But the point I'm making is that we don't want to prop up sinful behavior. I had a guy call me one time in Santa Cruz. He goes, yeah, me and my old lady, man, well, we spent all our money getting loaded all weekend. We don't have gas money to get back to San Jose. You think the church could hook us up? I'm thinking no. Can I get amen to that? <laughs> We're not going to prop up the wrong behavior. And as I would tell my kids, I would give you the shirt off my back to do the right thing. I'm not going to give you 50 cents to do the wrong thing. Amen. And as believers, we can love people and say no. Amen? We can love people and say, no, that's sinful. The wages of, you know, the way the transgressor is hard. The wages of sin is death. And so this behavior that you're choosing has put, you know, you at enmity with God. You're in battle against God. You're in rebellion against God. And I'm not going to help prop up that sinful behavior. Look, I'll pray for you. And if you want to hear about the Lord, I'd be happy to talk to you about him. But we must come to a place where we quit making excuses for sin, especially the sin in our own lives. Amen? Love God, hate sin. Number three, responding to God's rebuke. How many have been rebuked by God before? Okay. If you read your Bible, you should be getting rebuked, I don't know, often. Amen? At most time, I read my, almost every time I read my Bible, I'm getting convicted about something. Amen? And if there's no conviction, right, there's been no conversion. But the reality is when God, you know, rebukes us, 
right? It's a word, the, the word of God can rebuke us, right? It, it, will, it will just hit us in the chest and we know that God's convicting us because we're doing something wrong. So how do you respond to that? You can respond, one, by repenting. Lord, you know what? Man, that convicts me. Lord, forgive me. Turn back to the Lord. Draw near to the Lord. Spend more time in the word. You know, confess to somebody else if you need to. Get forgiveness from somebody else if you've, if you've harmed them. Just do the right thing. Or, instead of rebuke, we can, when we're confronted with sin, the other two things, you've heard me say it often, you can make excuses, accuse others, or repent. You can point to somebody else, you can make an excuse, or you can get right with God. But just like temptation is an opportunity either to grow or to fall, when you're tempted, if you resist the devil, he flees from you, you can grow spiritually. Or you can listen to the enemy and you can fall. The same thing when we get rebuked by God. We're being rebuked because we're out of his will in some area of our life. He brings the rebuke to us and now we can either run to him with a heart of repentance or we can make excuses, accuse others and continue down that path away from the Lord. And then finally, judge righteously. I'm going to see two characteristics of a righteous judge. A righteous judge must fear God more than they fear men. Now, I just, when I was studying this today, I thought, man, wouldn't it be great if all the judges in our country did these two things? Because if they did, our whole country would change overnight. Amen? Number one, must fear God more than they fear men. Never allow the influence of men to overrule God's word. When God says it, that settles it. It doesn't matter how many people stand against it. If God is for us, who can be against us? You plus God is a majority. And we need to stand for the word of God, even if no one else is standing. Amen? And a righteous judge is somebody, I don't care what the, I don't care if five million people said it. Trust the science. I'm not trusting any, I'm trusting the omniscience. His name's Almighty God. Can I get an amen to that? All these things, my truth, stop it. I, I believe the truth. And so you stand for the word of God, you, you fear God and you don't fear men. And then secondly, you must judge faithfully according to the word of God. Wouldn't it be great? Because here's the truth. We all fall into the trap of listening to, we've been, we've been dumbed down and desensitized to sin. Is it against the law to commit adultery in the, in the United States? What's the answer? Is it against the law? No. Is it against God's law? Which one matters? There you go. So even though the world says, well, you know, I have people come up to me in Santa Cruz, I've told you guys this. They, when, they, when they made uh, pot legal, I mean, Santa Cruz, if you know anything about Santa Cruz, I mean, there's like a, a, a cloud of marijuana floating over that place 24-7. I mean, it's just the tofu tide I knew it's lesbian cow in the United States. It's so liberal. And, and people come, hey, Pastor Dave, bro, it's legal now, man. So we're good, right? I'm like, no. <laughs> well, well, it grows up right out of the ground, man. You know, God, why well, it's an herb, man. It's from the ground. Wouldn't God, you know, you've heard me say it. I say, I'll tell them, well, poison oak comes right up out of the ground. Why don't you smoke some of that? You know, uranium comes up out of the ground. I mean, let's pick some, right? Mercury comes out of the ground. But the point is, they would say, well, it's legal now. I don't care. The laws that men say are legal. It's God's law that matters. Amen. Now, we obey the speed limit and the laws that the world gives us because God tells us to do that. But when their laws are contrary to the word of God, the word of God always wins. Amen? And and that's how we go from from living a life of rebellion to getting right with God again. How do we do that? We don't try to skate on the laws of man. We stand firm on the word of God. Amen? All right. So let's begin there looking at turning from rebellion to repentance. Repentance.
Point number one there, never confuse God's grace for God's permission. And beginning there in verse one, it says, then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safety to his, safely to his house in Jerusalem. Now, if you read the three previous verses, let's go ahead and read them just because. Let's begin there back in verse 31. Now look what it says. So it was when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, it is the king of Israel. Therefore they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out and the Lord helped him and God diverted them from him. For so it was when the captains of the chariot saw it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out to the battle for I am wounded. That's Ahab. And the battle increased that day and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Syrians until the evening and about the time of sunset he died. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem. He had been surrounded by the enemy. They all thought he was Ahab. They're about to put him to death. He never should. He's in a battle he was told by the prophet not to be involved with. He did it anyway. He disobeyed God. Now his life seems like it's going to be over. He cries out to God and God delivers him. And this verse takes on a whole new meaning. He got home and he went, whew, Right? I just imagine him walking in and falling on his bed and saying, thank you, God, because he thought he was going to die. And see, it was only when the desperation came that he cried out to God. He disobeyed God when the prophet gave him a clear command, don't do it. Stay away from it. Do not align yourself with Ahab. Do not enter into this battle. And he did it anyway. And then when the mess came, he cried out to God. Now, God could and sometimes does say, well, you put yourself in this mess, it's on you. Could have done that. I told you not to go. I warned you not to do that. Way the transgressors hard. But God shows him grace and God rescues him. And Jehoshaphat is safely at home where just maybe a few hours earlier, he thought he was going to die and his heart was beating through his chest and now he's safe at home again. Now, the temptation here is, for Jehoshaphat, just to go on living the way that he was, go on not listening to the word of God, and just, get, now he had walked with God closely, and now he'd been walking in rebellion, now he's safe at home, and he has a choice to make. Is he going to continue to walk with the Lord? So now Ahab's dead, Jehoshaphat had disobeyed God's clearest commands, he found himself surrounded and outnumbered, when all seemed lost, and his death was imminent. He cries out to the Lord. And how many of us have found ourselves in the same place of desperation due to our choices to disobey God, to listen to the world and follow our fleshly desires? Then in your time of destruction, a place you were brought to by your own choices, you cried out to the Lord for help. You asked for his mercy. He delivered you and you breathed a sigh of relief. We must never confuse God's grace for God's permission. God showed him grace. God delivered him. But if he does it again, is there any promise God's going to deliver him again? Or could it be the end of him? See, true repentance turns from behavior. True repentance is, look, I was heading this direction. My life was almost destroyed. 
God, by his grace, rescued me, and I realize if I keep going in that direction, I'm going to get further away from the Lord, and I'm going to deal with the consequences. But I want to, I want to say this too, though. We shouldn't just stop sinning because of the consequences. We should stop sinning because we love the Lord. Amen? We don't just do it because, well, this is bad. It'll get me in trouble. No, I should say, you know what? I want to do this because, Lord, you know what's best, and you love me, and I want to serve you, and I want to be faithful to your commands because you're a loving, gracious, and a merciful God. The highest form of worship is obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed in the fat of rams. Doesn't see God's grace as permission to continue in sin and rebellion. For point number one there, never confuse God's grace for God's permission to continue in sin. Now, how is he going to respond? Point number two there, love God and hate sin. Verse 2, and Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, it's a prophet, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat's home now. He's been delivered. King Ahab is dead now. So he's not going to be able to align himself with Ahab anymore. But now the prophet's going to come to talk to Jehoshaphat, whose life was spared by God. And what's he going to say? He said, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Now, he comes and he addresses him. And first of all, even though he was delivered from the circumstance, it didn't mean the consequences wouldn't remain. Because what does he tell him here? Yeah, you were delivered from it, but the wrath of God's coming. Yeah, you, you escaped your immediate death, but it doesn't mean there won't be consequences. But then he tells him why. He said it right before that. Let her read it again. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Now that's a great question, isn't it? Should we help the wicked? Should we help the ungodly to continue to be ungodly? And the answer to that is absolutely not. Amen? And that's why we need to be very careful and prayed up about who we help. See, in Santa Cruz, downtown, when we were there, we were in downtown Santa Cruz, two doors down from the headquarters of the Church of Satan, and people would come in and we would feed them all day. I had no problem feeding them. Giving them food, that's not going to hurt anybody. But we'd never give them any money because we knew where that money would go. And we would let them know that if they came in and, and people would get upset early when our church was young, we'd have all the food in the back and we'd be having church. And they're like, well, they're coming and taking food off the table during the service. Give them a plate. I don't care. We want to, we want to give them Jesus. Amen. But what we don't want to do is prop up their behavior. And it's easy to pick, you know, something that's really easy to see like a homeless person who's a drug addict, but it's true of anything that's wicked. We don't want to prop it up. We need to love God and hate sin. Amen. Why is, is sin a big deal to God? What's the answer? Sin is what separates man from God. It was one sin in the garden that brought death on this entire planet. Without, you know, the, the shedding of blood all was a consequence for the covering of sin. Amen? And so when it comes to sin, we, we can't be desensitized to it. We can't just take it lightly. And so the exhortation he's making to him here, are you supposed to help? The, are you helping out the wicked, bro? Pastor, they paraphrase, you helping the wicked? Are you those who hate the Lord? You're propping up people that hate God? You're helping people that hate God? Now, we want to pray for their salvation. We want to share Jesus with them. I'll buy them a burger and sit down with anybody and talk to them about Jesus. I'm happy to do that. But we must not prop up sinful behavior, and we must not say it's okay. Amen? And here's the exhortation. Somebody has to stand for holiness. Now, Jehu 
was one of the major biographers of Je- uh, Jehoshaphat's life. He wanted, he's one of Ezra's sources for writing this book of Chronicles. And now Jehoshaphat has a serious word spoken to him by this prophet of God. And he speaks with fearless boldness. Now, I want to say this about Jehu. The king can have him put to death anytime he wanted. Amen? Jehoshaphat's the king. If you remember last chapter, remember when Ahab, he said, are there any more prophets we can talk to? And Ahab said, I don't like that one other dude. He always gives me bad news. That's Micaiah. And so Micaiah, and they go get him anyway, and then he tells him what's going to happen. He goes, see, he always gives me bad news. You know why? Because he always tells the truth and you're evil. Amen? And so he hates the messenger because he dares to speak the truth. And here's the reality. As Christians, if we're, now look, we should be loving, we should be kind, we should be gracious. But if we're living for the Lord, we're going to have some people that hate us. Why? Because we tell the truth. If I, had a, if I had a dollar for every time I've been called homophobic or trans, whatever, I could pay off my house at this point, right? You know, that's the mentality. And again, I try to be loving, kind, and gracious, but somebody's got to stand up and say, this is sinful and it's wrong. And I'm not worried about what men think. I want to be obedient to what God says. Amen? And so Jehu, he tells the king straight up, hey, bro, what are you doing? You're, you're propping up people that hate God. You're, 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 you're caring for them. You're coming alongside them. You think that's right? And then he says, oh, by the way, consequences are coming. The wrath of God's coming your way. Now, again, Jehu is more worried about being faithful to God than being fearful of man. Amen? And so he tells him the truth when he knows it's not popular. And you know what we need? I was talking to a good friend of mine for about two hours today. By the way, being full-time, I do so much more counseling and I love it. I'm available to do it any hour of the day and I've been doing it every day and it's a blessing. But I was talking to him and we were just talking about the simple fact that he said, you know, Dave, when I moved out to this new state, I went to 25 churches and I couldn't find one teaching the Bible. They teach from the Bible. They take a verse and they do a sermon. And he said, and, and you know, and he, and he, you know what he told me? He said, you know what burns in my mind every day? What it says right in front of your pulpit. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He was out here for Mark's funeral. And he said, and, and, that just, and, that, and that's what I've been looking for. And I found a good church and they're teaching the word and I'm so blessed to be there. He said, but that's the problem in our country today. It's too many people, even many, many who go to church are not being taught the word. Amen. So they're biblically ignorant, and so they're standing with the world, and they're not fearing God, and they're not understanding what the Word of God says. And right here we see the exhortation coming. He didn't care what the, what the world thought. He wasn't worried about the king. Hey, king, this is what's happening. It's because of what you've done. And again, the exhortation, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord, therefore the wrath of the Lord shall come upon you. So then, you know what that's telling us? If we help the wicked... And those who hate the Lord, the wrath of God is coming. Amen? We cannot help the wicked. We cannot come alongside those who hate our Savior. Let me ask you a question. You know, there's somebody in your life that you love the most. Maybe you got a, a few people that are, that are tied, right? But I love my wife. You know, it's her birthday today. We've been together for 38 years. And, and if, so, if, if 500 lions came through the front door, I would get in front of them in front of my wife and I would do everything I could to stop it. Why? Because I love my wife. So if somebody attacked my wife, mocked my wife, cursed my wife, hated my wife, talked garbage about my wife, I would be doing prison ministry. Can I get an amen to that? 
But the point I'm making is, as much as I love my wife, I love Jesus more. So why do we let people curse Jesus? Why do we allow people to mock our Savior and to say hateful, ungodly things and sit by and say nothing? That should not be so. Amen? And we certainly shouldn't you know, pay money to watch people curse our God in a movie theater. I mean, this is my own personal conviction. Point I'm making is, when people mock God, they're against God, and we need to pray for their salvation, but we don't want to prop up that behavior and say it's acceptable. Amen? We love God. We love him enough that we should make a stand. Should you help the wicked? Be careful who you help. Again, this doesn't mean we don't minister to ungodly people, Right? We're to minister to the world, but not have no fellowship with it, right? Doesn't mean we shouldn't love our enemies. We absolutely should love our enemies. It doesn't mean, what it does mean, we need to be careful with who we help and why. And Jehoshaphat is trying to help Ahab by leading him back to the Lord. That's not what's happening. If that was the case, he would be encouraged. If he was, hey, Ahab, bro, you've been you're worshiping these idols. I'm kicking the idols down, man. You need to get right with God. That's not what's happening. He's helping him while he's an idolater and while he is away from the Lord. Again, we want to minister to people to bring them closer to God, but never to help them continue in the rebellion against God. Psalm 97.10 says this, you who love God hate evil. That pretty simple? That pretty straightforward? We can all remember that verse, can't we? Psalm 97.10, you who love God hate evil. And again, the evil and the sin I hate is the stuff that's in my own life. Amen? So we're not just pointing fingers at people, but we got to stand for it. Because what, what does Satan want to do? He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to draw people away from the true and living God. And Lord, help us not to aid in his conquest. And then when it says, therefore, the wrath is upon thee from the Lord, from the Lord, it is thought that chapter 20, which we'll look at next Thursday night, Chapter 20 is God's wrath. We're going to see three nations come against him. Let's surround him. And I believe it's because of what he had done with Ahab that God is going to allow this, this deluge of these three nations to come against him because he had disobeyed the Lord. Well, God showed grace in delivering Jehoshaphat from his desperate situation as he cried out for help, but doesn't mean that Jehoshaphat's actions, again, would be free from consequences. Attacks upon the nation will come as a result of his disobedience of aligning with an evil king, Ahab, in battle. Uh, Elijah had some run-ins with Ahab. How'd that go? You guys are going to Israel. We're going to be on Mount Carmel, where they called fire down from the sky. Elijah went in to King Ahab's palace and kicked down the, the idols right in front of him when Ahab was a vicious man. And he also stood, you know, mocked the God of Baal, right? And it killed all the prophets of Baal. Love God and hate evil. It's okay to hate evil. Some people say, well, you shouldn't hate anything. Yeah, we hate evil. I hate the devil too. We're allowed to hate the devil. Can I get him into that? So we hate the devil, hate, and I hate the sin most in my own life. Notice what he says here. Now watch this. He's been rebuked pretty heavy here. Now watch God's grace, right? He, he gets hit in the chops. Why would you help those wicked people? They're not supposed to do that. We're helping people that hate God. And then he says, by the way, judgment's coming. Wrath of God's coming. Then look at the next verse. This is so our God. Nevertheless, good things are found in you. Isn't that nice, right? <laughs> Slap, and then let me give you a little sap. Good things are found in you, bro. I've seen what you've done in the past. Look what it says here. It says that you removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. 
See, God, here's the great thing about our, one of the millions of great things about our God. He knows our wicked sides. He knows us best. He loves us most. But he also encourages us in the areas where we've been faithful. Amen? And he's such a gracious God. I mean, he's the one that forgave us. He's the one that dies for us. He's the one that gives us his Holy Spirit. And then he encourages us when we're being faithful to him. And we couldn't be faithful to him without his help. Amen? So here he is, he's rebuking him, and he knows that the consequences are coming, and he's, and he's warning him. Now, why, why would God rebuke us? He rebukes us so we don't do it again. Amen? Like, hey, Jehoshaphat, don't be helping the wicked people. What are you doing? They hate God. Don't help the people that hate God. Don't do that. Consequences are coming. But by the way, I've seen good in you. I know that you've tore down the idols to the false gods. I know that you're, doing, you're faithful in this area of your life, but over here needs some work. Wouldn't that sound like my life and every other life in the room? Amen? There might be areas where you're doing really well, and there might be some areas where you struggle. But know that God's a God of love and grace and mercy. There are good things. God did not want Jehoshaphat to be crushed by the rebuke of the words of Jehu alone, so he indeed, you know, he included a word of encouragement. You know, I think it's an important lesson for all of us that we can be on, on either one of the sides of this. I've seen parents that all they ever do is tear their kids down. That's all they do, just tear them down. And it was mainly when my kids were younger, you'd, you know, especially like on the Little League field, I would just hear dads screaming at their kids the whole game, get your arm up, you're, dead, you're slow, you lazy, blah, blah, screaming at their kid the whole game. And I'm like, wow, you know? And then you've got people that, and, and I'd rather be on this side for sure, they just encourage their kids all the time, but they never really hold them accountable either. And guys, we want to make sure that if, you know, just easy as a parent, if our kids need to be rebuked about an area where they're doing something that's evil and contrary to God, we need to do that. But we need to make sure that we're also encouraging them. Amen? And too often, you'll see that, and that same is true in marriage. I've done marriage counseling where one person just always ripping on the other one for everything they do wrong, and they're just just heavily attacking them all the time. When's the last time you said something nice? When's the last time you encouraged them? Our kids need to, our kids need to know that we're proud of them, our grandkids, amen? Our spouses, I love you. I'm thankful for you. At the same time, it doesn't mean we don't discipline them when they're out of line because you can go to that extreme too where the kid's all a mess and you know, getting in trouble and acting, acting up and there's no discipline. See, d- does God discipline us? What's the answer? And does he encourage us? What's the answer? And that's our example to follow, amen? That we should be both someone who encourages people, loves on them, encourages them, but also, when necessary, rebukes them. Tells them the truth when they need to hear it. And that's what the Lord's doing here with uh, Jehoshaphat. Follow God's example, rebuke areas of sin, and encourage areas of faithfulness. Rebuke areas of sin, and encourage areas of faithfulness. So point number two there, love God, hate sin. Point number three, responding to God's rebuke. So now he's been rebuked and he knows that wrath is coming. Now he's also been encouraged, but he also knows that wrath is coming because of the choice that he made. Look at verse four. It says there, so Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them what back to what? to the Lord God of their fathers. So he gets rebuked. 
He knows that wrath is coming, that his sin has consequences. He doesn't get mad at God. He doesn't blame God. Instead, what does he do? He goes back to doing the thing that he had done before. So when you look at these cities, notice it says here, from Beersheba to Ephraim. So Beersheba is the furthest point south of Judah, and Ephraim is the furthest point north. So what literally this means, that the king himself, Jehoshaphat, went from village to village, from town to town in the entire territory and was telling people about the Lord and encouraging them to get right with God. And so he went out in person and started ministering to people. Now, this is the man he had been before, the one who kicked idols down before, the one who stood for God before. And when he was rebuked by God, he chose to repent and he chose to worship and honor the Lord again. And that's a sign of a spiritually mature man or woman. Amen? That when they're rebuked, they don't get mad at God. They don't shake their fists at God. They don't go home and crawl in a hole. What do they do? He's like, you know what? That was wrong. And you know what? The wrath that's coming, I deserve it. But you know what? I'm going to get back to doing what I'm called to do. I'm going to go back and and love on these people. I'm going to go back and tell them about the Lord. And I'm going to return this nation back to God. We've tainted ourselves by aligning with Ahab. We've tainted ourselves by by helping those who hate God. We need to get back to loving God. Boy, I wish we could do that in our country right about now. Amen? Wouldn't it be amazing? So as respond to criticism, again, that earlier Jehoshaphat's father, Asa, in an earlier chapter, uh, when a prophet told him something he didn't want to hear, he threw him in prison for saying things he didn't like. But Jehoshaphat takes it to heart and takes the challenge to do better. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, do not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. When someone tells us the truth about ourselves, even when it hurts, how do we respond? Do you get mad at the person or do you think about it, take it to heart and say, maybe there's a lesson to be learned here. Whenever somebody comes to you with something, sometimes they're off base, but sometimes they're right. And sometimes there's something in there that we need to take to heart and take it to the Lord and respond to it. And that's what happens. Asa said, you know what? Throw that dude in jail. I don't want to hear from him. But Jehoshaphat heard it and he responded to it and said, he's right. I need to start doing right. And again, rebuke for disobedience he responded by going deeper in the word. That's the best way to respond. He went deeper. He started, let's, let's study the Bible more. Let's study the word more. Let's go share with people more. Let's go uh, tell people about God more. You know, we want to go from being ministries to ministers. Amen? We want to have opportunity where we're being used for the kingdom of God and for his glory. Look at verse 5 and 6. Then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, And he said to the judges, take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in the judgment. So he sets up judges, and here's the problem. When there's no one to keep people accountable to right and wrong, there's mayhem. How's the whole shoplifting thing going on in our country right about now? Right? Mainly in, in California, right here where we live, and we could pick on our own. Can I get an amen to that? And we got rid of police, because that's a great idea. Let's have less police. And then let's have district attorneys that tell judges not to prosecute people if it's less than $1,000. So everybody runs to the stores, takes $999 worth of stuff, and runs out the front door, and nobody stops them. And now you've got all these stores that are closing because they're losing money, and now there's 
cities where you know, Chicago just closed four Walmarts and they're all in the most depraved part of the city. And now people have nowhere to buy groceries because people were stealing. And the reason that they were stealing is because they weren't getting prosecuted. And why weren't they being prosecuted? Because the district attorney said, you know, we're not going to prosecute. And then they got rid of all the police. And gee, wow, how's that working out? And, you know, I'm not a real political guy. The point I'm making is so point because he said, look, we're going to put judges everywhere. We're going to take and put judges throughout the land. And when something happens, you're going to be brought before a judge. And that judge is going to rightfully judge. And notice what he says there in that verse, when he talks about it in verse 6, do not judge for men, but for the Lord. Don't judge to be popular with men. Don't judge to make men happy. You judge to honor the Lord and his commands. And that's what they were called to do. And again, judges have a very, very important position. It's always been true. Do judges have an impact on what's going on in our country? We'll all vote for something, it'll pass, and one judge will flip that thing around, right? And so who's standing there as a judge? And so he's telling these judges, look, I'm appointing you as judges, but you're not going to do what man wants you to do. You're going to obey and do what God says we're called to do. And I'm exhorting you to do that. And so he's placing godly judges in place to make sure that when people are outside of God's will, consequences come. That they're being judged from a biblical perspective, from a godly perspective. They're honoring the Lord rather than honoring men. He set judges in the land so that after they came back to the Lord, God's word and commands would remain the standard that they would live by. He's gone from city to city and told them all about the Lord. He's he's pointing them back to God. And now he says, okay, I'm going to leave. But to make sure that we keep that standard true, we're going to have judges that hold everybody to that standard. You know, we don't have judges that hold us to that standard, but you know what we have? We have the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He he convicts us when we sin. He holds us to that godly standard. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Amen? Thank you for God living in us who convicts us. And this is exactly, now, this is a a sign of a man who has truly repented, isn't it? He didn't didn't get mad at God. He knows that the wrath of God is coming in the next chapter. And what does he do? He wants to get everything back in order. He wants God to be, you know, the focal point of of Judah again. And he's going to make sure that standard that's been taught is being held up. And boy, boy, we need that. Amen? It doesn't matter what you teach people if you don't hold them to it. We can teach people that stealing's wrong and then just let everybody steal. And then guess what? Nobody thinks stealing's wrong anymore. That's tragic. It really is. Judge not according to the hearts and the opinions of man but for the Lord in obedience to his word. Judges serving the Lord would judge according to his word. Saw a guy online today in a a senator or the house or somewhere, and he got up and he just read the Bible. I'm like, dude, I, I love you already, bro. He just got up and read like eight verses out of the Bible, and it was dealing with the whole transgender thing. He said, it says in Genesis chapter 1, he reads Genesis chapter 3, he reads in Genesis chapter and Luke says, he just read about 10 verses. That's what God says. God designed us. God says that that's, I'm like, wow, you know what? We need a little more of that, amen? And you know what? But we can do it in our own lives, can't we? We can't solve it for the whole nation, and praise God that we're going to set up judges, and we're going to return to the Lord, and the most important thing that we can ever do But I want you to know this, when you gave your life to the Lord, that was not the finish line. It's the most important thing you'll ever do in your life, amen? It changes where your eternity is, but as long as you're still here, God's not through with you. 
And so just like they had, he had gone around from city to city telling them about the Lord and getting their eyes back on the Lord, he didn't just leave them there and say, well, that's enough. He put judges in place to make sure they stayed on that standard and they kept growing in the Lord and kept honoring the Lord. And if they didn't, there'd be consequences. And as believers, we were justified at salvation, but we're being sanctified until we get to heaven. God, we're all works in progress, amen? We're all, we all should be growing in the Lord. We should be closer to God next month than we are now, next year than we were this year. We should continue to be growing in our relationship with the Lord. We're all works in progress. We can only continue to grow if God's word and God's will remains the standard for our lives. Again, truth, right and wrong, not based on the thoughts or opinions of men, but the word of God. I don't care how many people vote for anything. It means it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. What does God say? God alone matters. Well, you know, we voted on it. We're, we're, so, we're so intelligent now. The Bible says in the last days, men will call good evil and evil good. So we're living in a time where things are getting more and more evil. Things that we could have never imagined in our lifetime. Look at verse 7. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it. For this, there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, no taking of bribes. Let the fear of the Lord be upon you. The Bible tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. All the people tell me all the time, oh, you got to watch this guy, man. Oh, he's really wise. You should check him out. Does he know the Lord? No. Then he's not wise. <laughs> Amen. He might be able to teach me how to, you know, build a rocket or something, right? But he's not wise because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And if you don't fear God, you're not wise. You're foolish. Amen. It's foolishness. And so he's telling him, look, this is going to be, it's the fear of the Lord. Take care in the fear of the Lord. Be, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. That's my prayer for all of us. May we walk in the fear of God. Amen? Have awe. Have reverence for the Lord. You know, when, when you think of the Lord, how do you think? And again, he's Abba. He's our father. That's Abba's daddy, right? We can crawl into his lap. We can have intimate fellowship with him. But at the same time, we should never take that for granted that he is the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. Amen? He's a creator of all things. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And again, we should have a, a reverence for him. Sad to see how his name is just taken in vain so often. It's because there's no fear of God and there's no reverence. Notice he says there, take care and do it. He's telling him to judge righteously, to carry out his commands, to be faithful to his words. Guys, it's one thing to fear God, but it's another thing to live like it. It's one thing to say that we love God, and it's another thing to, take it, to, to act it out. It's one thing to know that you're called and gifted by God, and it's another thing to use the gifts for his glory. Amen? It's one thing to say you believe in God and sit behind the lines and just not be involved in anything for the Lord, and it's another thing to take care and do it, it says in that verse. I love that exhortation to take care and do it. Be faithful to it. Notice he says, there's no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, no taking of bribes. You know, there's no iniquity with the Lord. The word iniquity there means injustice or unrighteousness or, or doing anything wrong. God does it right every single time. Amen? And you all have people mad at God. Well, God's right. You're not. Amen? Now, I get it. There's things that can go on in your life and you may question God. Why would God allow this? Why would God do this? I was just watching someone online that I baptized not that long ago, just mocking God and saying that Old Testament God's bitter and angry. I want nothing to do with that God. And, and I'm like, man, 
And it's tragic when you see that happen. And they'll, and they'll say that they're, they're blaming God. They're saying there's something wrong with God. Look around. There's nothing wrong with God. Everything's wrong with us. Amen? We need him. He is perfect. And when they shake their fists at God and when they mock God, there's a hardened heart there. The judges were to be representatives of the Lord. They would give people the impression of what God was really like. We too are called to be examples of what God is like. We're called to give people the right impression of what God is like. It says this in 1 John chapter 1. Then this is the message which we have heard of him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not tell the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, it's not enough to say we know God. We should be living in a way that brings glory and honor to his name. Again, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. And it should be evident in our lives. And we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. All of that is true. But at the same time, as believers, we should live radically different than a lost and a dying world. Amen? While, while as believers, we are not perfect, nor will we be until we get to heaven, we should be radically different than the world. The world has no Holy Spirit. The world does not have any understanding of true right and wrong. They don't have a relationship with God. They don't hear God's voice. They have nothing to do with him. They're driven by the flesh. They we should be radically different because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Amen? And people should see it in minutes if you're hanging out with them. Something's different about you. And to God be all the glory. Amen? But there's no iniquity in the Lord our God. There's no partiality with our God. God doesn't care if you're rich or poor, doesn't care where you came from, doesn't care what color your skin is, the color your eyes are, you know, where, none of that. It's irrelevant to God. And that's why we should be impartial because our God's impartial. Amen? We should love everyone the same. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. You know, they're warned in scripture, when the rich man comes in, don't give him a good seat and put the poor guy in, a, in another seat. That's one of the many reasons why I never see what people give. I don't, want it, I don't even want it in the back of my mind to be in my flesh somewhere in there, be tempted to treat people different based on, I, I don't believe I ever would, but I'm just going to take away that opportunity altogether. I don't want anything to do with it. And the point I'm making is that we need to look at people the way that God does. He's impartial. For God so loved, there you go. And guess who's in the world? Everybody. He'd rather die than live without us. But at the same time, people can choose to reject him. God doesn't take bribes. Isn't that good to know? But people try to bribe God. And you'll say, well, no, they don't. You know, Lord, if you'll get me out of this mess, then I'll serve you for the... That's bribe. <laughs> can I get an amen? <laughs> right? You know, if, Lord, if you'll, if you'll do this, if you'll give me this promotion, Lord, then I will go to church every week with my family. And then you don't get the promotion. See, God doesn't care. Well, no, you don't bribe God. He's not giving you stuff. To, you know, okay, I'll give you a bunch of money so you'll come to church. God, you can't do that. Amen? So he's not partial. You can't bribe him. He's going to do what's right every single time because he's God and he's faithful. Amen? And praise the Lord for that. We can trust him. God's judgment is always right. It doesn't show partiality and it doesn't take bribes. Final point. Then we're going to have time for some prayer tonight. And don't run out of here because you're afraid to pray. Thou shalt not. <laughs> Amen? We should make my father's house a house of prayer. Amen? And if you just stand in the circle and you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, that's okay. But today's a national day of prayer. Do we need to pray for this country? Do we need to pray for each other? Look at the last few verses. 
I'm going to say there, the last point is judge righteously. Look at verse 8. Moreover in Jerusalem, for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests, some of the chief fathers of Israel, that they return, and they, when they returned to Jerusalem. And he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a loyal heart. So here's what happened. They had judges they placed throughout the land. Then they had judges that they appointed amongst the Levites and priests in Jerusalem. We'll see in the next verses as well that the ones in Jerusalem, when there was... When, so what would happen is these judges, you're out in Ephraim, okay? And they would judge both uh, biblical truth, things of the law, but they'd also judge civil matters. Like they're arguing over who owns that shovel or whatever, right? And that's mine. Well, no, I think it's mine. And so they come to the judge. Well, if there were certain things that would come to the judge and the judge didn't feel worthy to answer it, they would then take it to kind of the Supreme Court of the day, and it was down in Jerusalem. And it was there that they would have these priests and Levites who were there to judge these matters that would come. And so they've appointed them, but notice what he says about how they should judge. Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a loyal heart. So when you are judging, you judge in the fear of the Lord. Every time you make a decision... It's based on what you believe God says, in obedience to what the Word of God says, not to what's easy, not to what's, not to what's uh, best for your family from the outside, but being faithful to what the Word of God says. For the judgment of the Lord, that literally means for matters covered by the law of Moses, and for controversies, those would be civil cases. So godly judges... And the word of God was the standard of judgment for all cases, big or small, criminal or civil. God's word was the standard of judgment and still is today, but not in man's law. Because God's word ultimately is what the ultimate judgment will all be about when we're, when we're standing, those who don't know the Lord are at the great white throne judgment, right? And when they come before God... It's not going to be based on any laws of man. It's going to be the law of God. That's the final court of authority for eternity. That matters. Amen? And that's why if you're getting away with it in this world and the world says that it's okay and you keep doing it, you're still going to be judged for it before the creator of the universe. And you know what? That's the judgment that matters most. Amen? But he, notice he's telling them, have we seen this change in Jehoshaphat here? He went from aligning himself with Ahab and now he's repeatedly saying, do it in the fear of the Lord. Do it in the fear of the Lord. Show loyalty to Almighty God. Be faithful to the Lord. Again, this is a man who has repented. This is a man who's no longer propping up wickedness. He's not going to continue to, just because it's what they do, because it's uh, you know, their family now through that marriage with their children. No, even, even in that case, you should have stood for the Lord. You shall act in fear. Again, so two, two key characteristics of a good judge must fear God more than he fears man. Never allow the influence of a man to overrule God's word and God's will. That's not always easy. You know, God's word and God's will say this, and your boss comes to you and says, you can't do that anymore. And if you do, you're going to be fired. And you know, that means, well, I don't know how we're going to feed our family and I don't know what we're going to do. And you know what the reality is? What should you do in that case? What's the answer? Obey God. Amen? Now, if you obey God, is he going to let you starve? What's the answer? But it takes faith to do that, doesn't it? So any dead fish can go with the flow. No one will notice, right? You know, just do it anyway. 
just sign whatever they want, do whatever they want me to do. I know it dis- disagrees with the word of God. Now we need to stand for the Lord, even when no one else does. Number two, must judge faithfully and loyally according to the truth of God's word. God's word is the, sta- is the standard for all truth, not the feelings of man. And imagine how different the world would be if we started doing that in the here and now. Last two verses. Then it says there in verse 10 and 11, whatever case comes to you from the brethren who dwell in their cities, whether of bloodshed, so if it's murder, or offenses against the law or commandment, against statutes or ordinances, you shall warn them lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon them, you and your brethren. So you shall warn them. The word warn there in the Greek means to admonish, to warn, to teach, and I love this, or to shine a light on. And I love this. What he's saying is, look, when they come before you and here's the statute that they're breaking, you want to shine a light on it so they don't continue doing it. Reveal the truth to them so they don't continue going down that path and facing the wrath of God. And it's not, we're called to be the light of the world. Amen? We're called to be light in a dark place. Now, Jesus is the ultimate light of the world, but as believers, we too are called to be the light of the world. We're called to represent the Lord. We're called to point people to, again, the truth of God's word and to shine a light on the consequences of sinful behavior because the way to transgressor is hard. Turn on the light. I think sometimes the best warnings we can give someone is just to turn on the light for them and let them see. Again, they're living in darkness. They're hiding things. I think that sometimes helping a person to understand that somebody sees this is important. You know, we need to warn people not to trespass against the Lord by shining a light on sin and it's off, it, how offensive it is to God and its consequences upon the world. Look at verse 11, last verse. Notice he says there, oh, the rest of verse 10, yeah, do this and not be guilty. So be faithful to the Lord, warn him about the wrath of God. And take notice, Amariah, the chief priest is over you in all the matters of the Lord. So Amariah was going to be the one that anything that was from like a biblical perspective, the law of Moses, the, you know, the commandments of God, he was the one that they came to to get direction. And it says, And Zedadiah, the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the king's matters. Also the Levites will be officials before you. Now watch what he says there. So they've, he's putting people in positions of authority. So when somebody comes to come to the Supreme Court and it's something from the law of Moses, then Amariah is the guy. If it's got something else to do with something else, it's that a diet. So he's got these people in place. But then here's the part I want us to close on. And, and look at this. I love these last words. Behave courageously and the Lord will be with the good. What he's telling them is you be faithful, you be courageous for God, and God will take care of what's right and wrong. God will be with the good. God will know which ones are serving and following him. Ultimately, you just need to be courageous. You know, behave courageously. The prominent theme of this, really of this chapter, is repeatedly, he's telling them, do it in the fear of God, not in the fear of man. Stand for the Lord when no one else will. Be courageous to stand for the truth of God's word. Is it by any chance that you've taken the word of God out of schools? They're taking the Ten Commandments down off of courthouses. They want to take in God we trust off our coin. We don't just remove God from you know, the, the, the square, right? You know, if somebody has a cross on a hill, people lose their minds, their head explodes, right? Why is that? Because it brings conviction. And guys, you know what? They can try to silence the world, but they can't silence us. Amen? 
And, and my exhortation for all of us is that we would be courageous for the Lord. Again, not enough to have good laws. They must be carried out and they are going to be faithful to be right godly judges. So turning from rebellion to repentance, how do we do that? Don't confuse God's grace with God's permission to continue doing what you're doing. If you've been doing it for a while and you've been seemingly getting away from it, away with it, and you haven't had the heavy consequences yet, maybe it's something you do in secret, whatever it might be, and you haven't been found out yet, get right with God or you will be found out. Amen? Get right with the Lord. Number two, love God and hate sin. We, need to lo- we can love people, but we need to hate sin. We need to point out that sin is wrong, it's bad, it's, it's contrary to what God commands. We need to love somebody enough to tell them the truth, because what will sin do unrepented? It'll send someone to hell for all eternity. And, and, we, and we need to love God and hate sin and not prop up sinful behavior, not be on the side of it. Number three, respond to God's rebuke. When God confronts you in your sin, you can run from him or you can surrender to him. You can either just, well, I'm going to keep doing this. Well, you know what? Go back to point number one. God's grace is not God's permission. And finally, judge righteously. We need to judge in a way where we fear God more than we fear men. And we must judge faithfully according to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace. We ask now as we go to these few moments of prayer. Lord, we, first we do, we all want to lift up our country. It so desperately needs you. Lord, we pray you would bring revival. Not just our country, but our state that so desperately needs you. We pray for this county that we live in. We pray for revival here in the Caneo Valley. And Lord, that you would start in our hearts first. Lord, we lift up... Uh, unsaved family and friends that don't know you. Lord, we pray that we'd be salt and light. We pray that their eyes would be open to the truth, that they would be born again. Lord, we pray for marriages that are in peril, separated, people struggling in their marriage. We pray, Lord, you bring, just bring, reunite them, uh, bring them back to the place of making you the center of their marriage. We pray for uh, prodigal sons and daughters that are away from you. Lord, may you draw them back into yourself. Soften their hearts, Lord, we pray. Lord, we pray that our kids, our grandkids would love you as much or more than we do. And so, Lord, we cry out for them. Lord, may you draw them back into yourself. Do what is necessary. Keep them from the ultimate harm, but draw them back into yourself. Lord, we pray for this school here at Hillcrest. We know there's a spiritual battle that takes place in all of our lives. It takes place here, no doubt. And Lord, we just pray as their school year finishes, Lord, that you do a mighty and awesome work. We'd see young people get saved. Lord, we pray for our, our youth group kids, teenagers. Lord, uh, they're at a, such an important time in their lives. And Lord, we pray they would choose to follow you. Lord, I pray they'd go beyond mom and dad's faith to their own walk with you. May they be salt and light wherever they go. We pray for that generation that that is behind us, that if you should tarry and take us home, that they would continue to be faithful and be used for your kingdom and for your glory. And Lord, we pray now just for as we go to these few moments in these circles, Lord, may we pray for one another. May we lift each other up. And Lord, may you be at the center of our prayers. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we've got about 10 minutes. Get in a group of three or four people. And here's what I would encourage you to do. Just share an individual prayer request. And I would say everybody in the circle, commit to pray for each other throughout the week, not just tonight. Whatever that prayer request is, if you need to write it down, just do that. If you don't feel comfortable praying, that's okay. Other people in your circle will pray for you and with you. Amen. And I, I do want to say, let's, and let's pray for our church as well. Amen. I mean, God's bringing new people there. People are getting saved every, in the last six or seven weeks. We had people getting saved. Pray for the new believers in the fellowship. Amen. That we continue to pray for the ministries in this fellowship. Amen? So let's pray in about 10 minutes. I'll come up and close this and we'll close the worship song.